There he is. Hi, Dan. Hey. So, so weird. Skype just decided uh, that it didn't work. Didn't work. Didn't want to work. Didn't want to play nice. But then it decided it worked. So, boy. Mm. High fives all around. Yeah. Skype. Skype. Do it to Woo. it. Woo. Coming through. Skype. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love that Skype. Skype. Shika, shika. So, what's going, what's going on? How are you? Oh, it's a... Uh, you know, rainy days and Mondays always get me down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's good. It's good. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm feeling all right. Aren't all you right. Uh, ho- hosting a symposium later today or something like that? Hosting a symposium. Something. Something you. Was do. I hosting a symposium? I don't know. Let me look at my calendar. I don't think I see any symposia. I feel like you should. Oh well, whether or not I should. I do feel like there's a there is some kind of future for me in hosting symposia, but I'm not quite at that level yet of recognition. Professor Roderick. No one has no one has really conferred upon me whatever laurel wreath mm-hmm. you need in order to be thought of as like like unimpeachably someone who can do that kind of work. Yeah. You know, I get, I get those gigs now and again, usually from people that are, that are knowledgeable about what I do already, but there's not a, I'm not in the circuit of like, of, uh, you know, you Merlin, you guys are, uh, you have, a uh, you've done, you've done things in the technological world that uh, that transcend your own personal <laughs> selves, right? I guess. Have have I? Well, yeah. I was talking to Matt Howie the other day, and he said, "Oh, he's just too nice." I I I, I probably owe him five bucks now. No, but he he re- he he referred to your platform, <laughs> and he said, uh, and he he uh, he heaped praise upon it. Now we weren't talking about you. No, he's just too nice. We were talking about something else. No, no, no. It wasn't. He was making a professional assessment. He was like, oh, well, that's a great platform. And it's like, you know, bulletproof and dynamite and mm. fairly priced and all this <laughs> stuff. And I was like, hey, man, you don't have to sell me. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't know how to use it if you, you know, if you gave me the manual. And I doubt there's a manual. But, um, but yeah, somewhere out there, Dan, there's some, I'm going to have some accomplishment, right? I'm going to write a book or something's going to happen. Where all of a sudden I'm now I have this ability to like just go do things, give speeches, you know, give speeches. I don't know what. Maybe it's an act of heroism, you know. Maybe if I maybe if I save a, ba- a falling baby or something. Maybe if uh, maybe if I rescue a cat from a tree. I mean, that's important. Don't don't downplay that. No, no, you're right. I mean. The thing is, I you're think you're no, in the right place at the right time. I feel like we need to get you some kind of honorary degree. I mean, I sure want one, hmm. but I feel like this is something that that you could you could. I'm surprised you haven't already made this happen. You know, Pitbull has one. Pitbull does. Well, that's the thing. Pitbull seems ridiculous, and I think I think Pitbull is ridiculous, but. Pitbull has sold millions of records, and in the United States of America, um, okay, John. But how many how many good is, records has he sold? 
Well, that's not – the United States of America does not care, does not make a distinction. You could sell one million great records or ten million terrible records and uh, the terrible records would be the winner. Ben Affleck, uh, Oprah, Bill Gates, Mike Tyson. What does Ben Affleck All have, have honorary degrees. An honorary degree in? I don't know. Honorary doctorate degrees and all this. Doctor. Now, does that mean if you get an honorary doctorate like Pitbull has? Can, you can call yourself uh, Dr. Pitbull. Can, can you be Dr. Pitbull? Hold on. I'm going to look this up. You can. I mean, you could call yourself Dr. Uh, Dan. Right, but it's, it wouldn't be... It wouldn't be fully truthful. Okay, it is sometimes recommended sometimes recommended that such degrees be listed on one's resume as an award and not in the education section. With right. regard to the use of this honorific, the policies of institutions of higher education generally ask that recipients, quote, refrain from adopting the misleading title, and that a recipient of an honorary doctorate should restrict the use of the title doctor before their name to any engagement with the institution of higher education in question and not with the broader community. I was just reading somebody's bio. That's stupid. The other day. That's the point of it. That where they were referred to as doctor, they were a drummer. That's what it was. Yeah. They, were a, they were a famous drummer who had played on a lot of famous tracks. And in their, in their stuff, in their media stuff, they referred to themselves as Dr. You know, Dr. Dave Drum or whatever, whatever his name was. He was a famous drummer. You know, he's worked with everybody. Yeah. He's old. And I was like, huh, he's a doctor. That's impressive. And then I went and looked, and it was something where the Berkeley School of Music gave him an honorary doctorate for his contributions to music over the years. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like everybody was everybody was honoring his doctor i mm -hmm. mean you know people were saying like dr dave mm -hmm. um but i think in a case like that where he's a he's a rock drummer and a jazz drummer who maybe never went to college and he played on simon and garfunkel records and with frank sinatra and all this stuff and he gets a doctorate from berkeley School of Music. I feel like all those things combined to like, yeah, he's a. Do I'll, I'll call him Doctor, right? Because what's a doctorate from Berkeley in the first place? All you do is go there and play jazz, and I mean, I guess you know, learn. You hope to learn one tenth of what this guy knows already. Sure. So it's different than Ben Ben Affleck getting a. Okay, Ben Affleck. By, by the way, um, my uh, producer Hattie pulled this up. Brown University. Ha. <laughs> gave okay. him. Uh, a, uh, a doctor of fine arts for his work as a director, actor, writer, and producer. His film Argo had won Oscar for best picture that, that oh, year sure. that he was given it. So a doctor of fine arts. Yeah. I feel like that is less, you know, the, 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 the Berkeley one for Dr. Dave, whoever he is, it, it feels confined to, to our world or to a, to a smaller world, right? The world of, of musicians. It's a, it's like a doctor in music from a music college to a famous musician. But Brown is just trying to, they're trying to take his Oscar, Ben Affleck's Oscar and 
get a little of it rubbed off on them somehow. I mean, what, what possible benefit to them could giving Ben Affleck an Oscar or I'm sorry, a doctorate. Yeah. Or an Oscar. How does that, how does that help them at all? It just makes people think about Brown for a day, I guess, or I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe what it means is Ben Affleck gives them a million dollars for their endowment. But I mean, that would be a thing that definitely goes in the award category, right? Brown could have also given him a, you know, a, a, a white ribbon or a, an attaboy. That's what it is. It's an attaboy. And I'm not opposed to attaboys, but I don't want one of those. I don't want an attaboy. What's the thing if you're not a British citizen or whatever they, they call you over there, you can't become a knight, but there's something else that they give you. So like if you're, if you're like an American, you can't be knighted because you can't become a knight unless you are, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, I mean, they can, there's give a you name a, for that. They can give you an honorary knighthood, mm, that's but not. it's, um, the thing about being a, you know, the thing about being a knight is that you are loyal to the queen and an right. American citizen can't be loyal to a foreign monarch. <sighs> there's something, there's a name for it. But, but, but it can be a, but they can give you an honorary knighthood. Um, you know, cause I think like Bill Gates was knighted. Yeah. Th- but, but there is something, there's a different term for, I'm, I, I, there's people shouting into their, uh, into their iPhones right now. Cause there's a term for it. It's like, a okay, wait, 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 hold on. Americans who are not citizens of a country of which the queen is head of may receive honorary British knighthoods and damehoods, which is what you said, but I thought there's a separate term for it, but they can't use the term sir or dame. So Bill Gates can describe himself as Bill Gates, KBE knight of the British empire, Mm -hmm. but not as sir bill. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I was thinking of. So yes, you're right. It is an honorary Thing, but see, that's the same thing as an honorary degree. You can't use it. Oh, but I it, if, if you if qu- you gave me an honorary doctorate, I'm going to try and practice whatever that is. If you give it to me in law or whatever, I'm I'm considering myself a lawyer now. <laughs> I don't think they give honorary degrees in law. They should honorary, honorary law degrees. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. But I think it would be you would already be a practicing lawyer. The thing about getting an honorary degree is you've already established your merit such that you wouldn't, it's not like you're hanging out your shingle somewhere like Dr. Dan on, on main street. See, USA. But that's what exactly what I want to do. I feel like this could open up a new career for me, but you're very unlikely to be given an honorary doctorate in that case. Well, that's or, not a nice, very nice thing to say. The thing is that, uh, that if the queen of England, gave you're not either honorary then. knighthood. You just I said be, before that I did important things in technology. Where's my degree? That's what I'm saying. Oh, well, yeah, you should get an honorary degree from ITT Technical School. They should give That's you fine. a... That's fine. Ex- I'll <laughs> accept it. An honorary doctorate from ITT. Anyone who wants to give me a degree, I'll accept it. <laughs> right now, 
I, I, I basically qualify for an honorary degree from, let's see, where do I qualify for a degree from? Nowhere. Frankly, there's nowhere that I, you have like, a college degree though, right? You've, you've some Australian podcasting Academy, uh, because that's what I have. I've received a, uh, I've received a, uh, phony award from somewhere, but that's an award I made up. But I see, I feel like you deserve something honorary doctorate of yeah. some kind. Well, so I was saying, I was talking somewhere about, uh, about the Kentucky colonels and a woman from Kentucky reached out to me and said, um, I'm going to submit you. I'm going to submit your name to the Kentucky colonels. I feel like you have done a great service to the world and, um, more than enough to warrant a Kentucky colonel hood. And about that, I was pretty thrilled. I, I said, I absolutely would accept, uh, this honor because it just feels like exactly the kind of non, non honor. Or, I mean, you know, like a thing that uh, the governor of Kentucky probably gives away a thousand Kentucky colonel um, appointments every year to people, you know, to used car dealers and people that whatever attended somebody's wedding. And, um, you know, the, when you say Colonel Sanders of Kentucky fried chicken, that's the only Colonel hood he ever held was Kentucky Colonel. Um, Colonel Parker of Elvis management fame also, he was just a Kentucky Colonel, nothing, nothing more, nothing less. So I, if I, if I were a Kentucky Colonel, would I allow people to call me Colonel? Yes. I, I think I would allow them to, but I would not introduce myself as uh, Colonel Roderick. I would think you, would, would you be, expect a salute from? Uh, no, no. A, I think a salute would be inappropriate even. Yeah. I think that it would be a wonderful opportunity for people uh, who currently come up to me in public places and go, uh, Mr. Roderick, or they say, I've got a small bag packed, or they say, <laughs> oh, the great shows, uh -huh. or whatever they say, which is, and I'm, I'm, I'm making fun, but of course I, I love it when yeah. people do those sure. things. I'm only making fun because it's funny. It's fun. Uh, but, uh, if people then could come up and say, um, Colonel, I feel like we would all be better off if someone said, if someone started addressing me as Colonel mm -hmm. or if people felt like they could come up and say, hello, Colonel, I mm -hmm. just wanted to say hello. I, I think that's exactly why I want to be a Kentucky Colonel. Because it's the type of thing that would confuse everyone else. You know, like if I'm standing in a group of people in a public space and someone else came up and said, Colonel, nice to see you. And I said, oh, you know, nice to see you. Hello. And then they kind of wandered off. All the other people in the, in the group would say, what was that about? And that's kind of cool. Uh, I think it would be awesome. Yeah. And because then I would say, oh, nothing. Never mind. It has nothing to do with you. Don't worry about it. Which is kind of my second favorite thing to do. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's not a, don't worry about it. It's not about you.
We would like to say thank you very much to Away, creating thoughtful standards for modern travel, universal pieces that reflect your personal travel style and make every trip more seamless. Everything Away makes is designed to solve real travel problems for life and work together to make every trip better so that all that's left is the world in front of you and the people you share it with. Because getting away means getting more out of every trip to come. They have the perfect gift for everybody on your list and for every destination on theirs. They make suitcases for the way that we actually travel with features like an ejectable TSA-approved battery or a built-in front pocket. And they all come in a range of colors and materials that suit whatever style you have. I have one. I just got the regular, you know, like dark colored gray one because that's that's my style. I like it. I like to be like a minimalist uh, thing. And, and that's what I have. But you want colors. You want crazy stuff. They've got it. They've got it all. Super useful uh, if you're waiting on that carousel and you want to see yours coming, you can see it because you can get one of those cool colored ones. I mean, every suitcase comes with a hundred day trial. So you get plenty of time to decide if it's the right one for you, the perfect color, the perfect size. You can shop and gift with confidence, you know, because this holiday season, everybody wants to get away, right? So I have one of these things and this is, there was one time I got stuck for six hours uh, in uh, in an airport terminal. And guess what? Surprise, it was an afternoon flight. My phone was already dead, basically, by the time I got there. This is before I had the away suitcase, so I had to run around the airport. I couldn't even charge my phone in the terminal that I was supposed to be in because everybody else was hogging the two outlets that were there. And then when I got the away, that can't happen anymore because it can charge my phone. I, I don't know, like it's like five times? Yeah. Charge your phone. Here's it's right here in the notes. Five times from the TSA compliant ejectable battery in the carry on. So that means you'll never have to worry about that kind of thing again. That's just one of the great features of it. There's so many. They they, um, they have carry ons that come in two sizes. They have suitcases in a whole bunch of different sizes. They've got those 360 degree spinner wheels, so you can like stay upright and walk. The combo lock is built into it and it's TSA approved. So you don't have to worry about a key or losing your lock or having your kids steal your lock like mine did. And they have a special deal for $20 off a suitcase. Visit awaytravel.com slash roadwork and use the promo code roadwork when you check out. Because this season, everyone wants to get away, right? So 20 bucks off a suitcase, awaytravel.com slash roadwork. Promo code is roadwork. And we would like to say thanks very much to away for sponsoring this episode. You know, I'm always, I'm just looking for, I'm looking to give people opportunities for fun. Yeah. You want to bring a little joy to their life. Yeah. And give myself opportunities for fun. Mm -hmm. Now I, you know, now that I'm talking about it, I'm trying to find the email conversation I had uh, about being a Kentucky Colonel with, but because there are 14 different ways that people can, email you now or message you. Yeah. It's impossible for me to find anything at any point, right? The, did, did this, uh, young woman email me on my, uh, on the Gmail account I have for Omnibus on the Gmail account. That is my personal one. Did she Facebook message me? Did she DM me on Instagram or on Twitter Like, how did she communicate with me? I have to go back now and look at every single one of these platforms. And I don't, I don't want to 
I don't want to be doing that. I want to lay my hands on this, but I cannot. Mm-hmm. I cannot read you her letter. I cannot write her back and say, hey, what's going on with that Kentucky Colonel application? I have to just, you know, I have to just let go and let God give it, give it unto the wind. It's not that big of a deal. It's fine. She said it usually takes a couple of weeks. It's been more than, it's been more than a couple of weeks and I haven't heard anything. So it's probably, no, I think, I think you deserve one. I think you should get one. I think we should petition for it. I certainly want one too. Maybe I can ride your coattails to, to getting an honorary degree of some kind. Yeah, well, we should reach out to uh, ITT. What are some of the other great technical schools? I don't feel like they have doctorates from a technical school. I have a I have a bachelor's degree. I don't need another one of those. I think a technical school is just an AS degree anyway. Well, I mean, yeah. To, I, mean, I don't need an AS but, degree. But what keeps them from just making up a making up a doctorate? Well, because I, mean, it's all I think only up. schools. I think only schools that can, um, that, that can issue a, a regular doctorate degree could issue an honorary doctorate degree. It stands to reason that, that they couldn't give you a fake doctorate if they can't give you a real one. I mean, universities that can do universities that can't <laughs> teach. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I don't know, man. We'll figure it out one of these days. You know, the thing is that I, I keep forgetting, like, um, part of the reason that I, ha- that I don't have all this uh, emeritus status that I so, so uh, desperately crave. Well, is that you, you act like you do. I'm still a young person is the thing. Nobody's awarded me any. Uh, it's, I should take it as a compliment. No one's awarded me anything honorary because I'm still, um, I'm presumed to still be in the prime of my creative years and um, still accruing actual accolades to myself uh, and not, not in need of, of these, um, you know, these gentle head pats uh, in the form of fake degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So I still, so basically it's back to, Back to square one, I've still got to go out and work and come up with things and make good things and try to accomplish things in my own life and not not just be awarded fake things. Hmm. I figure yeah. it's worth worth asking. Yeah, well, you're uh, you're also still making things, you know, making things. Yeah. According to Matt Howie, make, making something pretty good. Yeah, our legacy is uh, still. I mean, it's yet to be it's yet to be determined. And I know that there are people who listen to podcasts who would say, if I had the ability to confer an honorary degree on you right now, I would. But that's the key. You don't. None of us do. It's all, you're fake, I'm fake. Not fake, but you know what I mean? Like, nobody, I get so many mails from Australia. Why? Well, because people in Australia like to listen to podcasts. Podcasts are... Popular in Australia, I think, because um, Australians are used to listening to um, media, which is sort of long-form conversation. Right. It's, it it seems like um, well, and don't forget they don't have TV over there. 
Well, that's right. That's right. And a big part of what's fun in Australia is just watching the waves come in and crash on the beach. Yeah. And what I, and listening to a podcast while doing that, how fun. That'd be awesome. But like here's a great the thing. way to relax. Although I hear from Australians all the time, not a single one of them has ever managed to get us invited to Australia. I know. Now, they have podcast festivals there. American podcasters go to Australia all the time. They go on tours of Australia doing their podcast live. Mm -hmm. And yet all this love that pours unto us from Australia, not a single person has made even, as far as I can tell, even an attempt to get us to Australia. So their honorary doctorate, their phony degree, Mm -hmm. is um, or their phony award, you know, that's... That is that those would be worth a lot more if they were like, I talked to the people at Podcast Festival X. An offer is forthcoming. Can't wait to see you when you get here. Your phony award is currently being cast at the foundry. <laughs> you know, like that stuff I would take seriously, but like, oh hey, love your show. I'm gonna go put another shrimp on the Barbie. Mm-hmm. That stuff's just like Sure, man. I get, you know, I get emails like that from Ames, Iowa. And they don't have a podcast festival. Right, sure. Yeah. I like to give Australians a hard time. I uh, Partly it's that as an Alaskan, there's a there's a, a real simpatico between Alaskans oh, and tell, Australians. Tell me about that. Well, there's something very similar about Alaskans and Australians that I don't think any of us... Uh, can really define very clearly. But there's a kind of ready, steady, go. Um, Bob's your uncle. <laughs> Maybe burn it all down. I mean, don't you, don't burn it all down because you're bummed, but burn it all down just like. Well, we were just talking about burning, burning it down. Well, yeah, but, you know, the burning it down that, that we end up talking about here in the in the United States is like, it's so fucked to burn it down. Whereas, um, I feel like Alaska and Australia have a similar sort of like, why not burn it down? <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not that, um, it's not that people there are exasperated, exasperated or desperate or angry or frustrated. Uh, but they do kind of maybe want to watch the world burn just for the sport of it. Mm-hmm. And they also feel like if the world does burn down, that's fine too. They'll be fine. I don't know. There's just a, there's a kind of, there's a funness even to the depression and desperation in those places. That's a result of just a very different feeling about what your capabilities are. And I think partly it's that both, both populations feel that they are far away from the majority of the world that they identify with. Like imagine Australia and New Zealand, they are consuming what you could only describe as Anglo American culture, Mm -hmm. right? They're watching, um, Bruce Willis movies there. Um, and they're often contributing maybe even greater than their numbers. They're giving us our Russell Crowe's and our ACDC's like they're very involved, 
Um, but they are on the far, far opposite side of the world. And the countries that are nearest to them are, you know, not, uh, majority Anglo-Saxon, mm-hmm. not English speaking, not, um, you know, like in America, we have Canada, the English, I mean, they think of themselves as the center of the English speaking world. Yeah. So the fact, and they have, you know, they have their excellent friends, France right there. But so the Australians, you know, they must sit down there and just feel like, wow, we're like 18 hours or 16 hours from LA, the nearest place. Uh, that like even comes close to sharing a culture and Alaskans have, although it's not that, that far Alaskans have that same feeling of just like, well, we're all the way up here. The, I mean, America is what we relate to, but we're sort of, um, people kind of forget about us up here. We're on our own. The wind comes whipping down the plane. So uh, yeah, when an Alaskan meets a, meets an Australian coming through the rye, I feel like there's a, there's a shared, <laughs> there's a, there's like a, there's a high five there yeah. and there are a lot fewer Alaskans than there are Australians. So it may be that Alaskans feel this way and Australians maybe don't quite notice Alaskans in, at, at the same degree that Alaskans meet, you know, sort of see Australians as fellow travelers, but I'm not making this up. I mean, this is, this is a, this is something that that any Alaskan who has traveled widely, I think, would confirm. We would like to say thank you to Brooke Linen. You know, you spend a third of your life in sheets. That's right. And this holiday season, it's a great time for a bedding upgrade for you or for a loved one. This is a great gift. You show up, you hand someone a, a set of sheets. I'm like, what are you giving me sheets for? You're supposed to give me something fun. I'm like, you know what? I'm giving you a more fun life. Because you're going to feel better in your bed. You're going to sleep better. You're going to be more rested and awake and alert. You're going to be able to go to the gym and get stronger. You're going to be able to go to work and get more done in less time. You'll spend more time outside of work with your friends, your family. You see, that's the kind of gift you want to give. You don't want to give somebody something they're expecting. You want to surprise them with something that's going to improve their quality of life. A lot of people are talking about Brooklyn and uh, they're really great. The, the whole concept was that they want to give you the incredible feeling of five-star hotel sheets. But they figured, you know, it shouldn't be so difficult and expensive to get sheets like that at home. I have these on my bed right now. And we just, we love these things. They've, if you don't believe me, go look at the reviews. There's over 30,000 five-star reviews, more than any other online bedding company. And they've got half a million happy sleepers and counting. I'm telling you, I love these sheets. They can't, they can't make me say that I love the sheets. I really do. Uh, and I think you will too. They work directly with manufacturers and sell directly to us, the, the customers. There's no middlemen. So they can give you these five-star hotel quality sheets in an affordable way. And they make it really easy to order. You can mix and match. So they've got over 20 colors and patterns. And they also have towels. They have robes. They have candles, sleep masks, everything that is designed to make your evening and your sleep better. And they have super fast shipping. So guess what? You can still get it. In time for the holidays, no problem. Go to Brooke Linen, B-R-O-O-K, brooklinen.com, and they have an exclusive offer going on just for you guys, $20 off and free shipping when you use the code, promo code, uh, ROADWORK, one word. And they're so confident 
that you're going to love it. All their sheets, comforters, and towels have a lifetime warranty. And then, like I said, the only way to get 20 bucks off and free shipping is to use the promo code ROADWORK at brooklinen.com. Really the best sheets ever. Go check them out. See for yourself. Thanks, Brooklinen. You know, most of what I know about Alaska comes from watching, listening to you and before that, watching Northern Exposure. Right. Which um, was film, filmed in Seattle. Washington, right. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what I, when I think of Alaska, I think of Joel Fleischman, um, you know, and um, Sicily. Right. And um, Hollis and, you know, all those folks out there and the moose walking around. And then also there's that other show that was on, you know, one of these like Discovery Channel, National Geographic type ones where they um, where they they're in Alaska and they're like out in the, the middle of the wilderness in Alaska surviving. And uh, have you ever watched this show? No. Hold on, I'm going to try and remember the name of it, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like if you, you wouldn't like watching it because it's, it's sort of like outdoor survival stuff, but they're all kind of a little bit crazy. They live like out in the in absolute nowhere and they're like surviving off the land at all times. Life below zero. Life below zero. No, yeah. never heard it. I'm going to recommend that to you just so I can get your take on it. Not because I think you'll like it. And it is National Geographic. Here's how they describe it. Documentary television series which illustrates the daily and seasonal activities of subsistence hunters as they make their living in remote areas of Alaska. I kind of want your take on this because I feel like this is something you often think of doing. I've I've seen I've seen this show. I think I've seen shows like it, Um, and. And I know people up there. I don't personally, I don't think, know anyone who's actually living a subsistence existence. There's a there's a kid that emails me, and I think he may listen to this show, who lives in a community up in um, the Arctic, which is a religious community mm. that went that were back to land back to the landers, and they live in a they live in a, a township basically that they built and I'm not sure if I get this right, but it's across, it's, it's across the Yukon river to the North so that for part of the year, it's not accessible. And I'm not sure. I mean, obviously it's accessible, but, but not, you can't just come and go in a car. Um, and I did some research. They reached out and and clearly were like, "Hello, I'm a I am a uh, fairly young person. I'm listening to podcasts. I don't know how I found podcasts, but here I am. I'm a member of this sort of separatist community, but not sure where I stand. I think I think what was happening was they were um, they were trying to achieve escape velocity from this community." But they were also young and so susceptible to like, well, I don't really have enough money to move to Dawson City or something. So I'm, I'm kind of living here, living at my mom's house for now, trying to, you know, trying to work it out, trying to figure out, you know, and my girlfriend and so forth. And, um, 
And I wrote him back and said, like, how does everyone in your separatist community feel about you having uh, maybe decided to not be a member of the religion anymore, but you're still kind of living there, hanging out? And he was like, well, it's a little awkward, but but everybody's cool. And that, looking into it, it seemed like not a separatist community that was super, um, you know, they weren't. Uh, out picketing anybody. They weren't drowning people in wells. They were just, they just had a, had this different take of like, Mm -hmm. we're going to go out here and live. It's very hard to eke a living out of the Arctic. Yeah, I can bet. I imagine. Except that the growing season, although it's short, it's very fecund. Um, The sun is up all day, right? So you can grow tons and tons of stuff in a very short amount of time. And animal husbandry uh, works there pretty well. If you're, you know, if you have a breed of cows that doesn't freeze on the hoof. But the people you're describing are homesteaders, and they go out and they they get their forty acres somewhere, and they try and build a cabin, and then they try to make. Uh, I mean, they try to make a life for themselves, I think, largely as trappers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, yeah. There's trappers, a couple of the, a couple of the people on that show are, are trappers. Yeah. Trappers are not, um, trappers are not living off of, uh, the land in the sense that they're not growing any food. They spend all winter trapping animals. And they skin and tan them. And then they bring the skins in and sell them to furriers. And then they take that money and they buy food, foodstuffs. And I mean, they're they're eating the meat that they catch, although I don't think you'd want to eat wolverine or even beaver. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I, they probably, you can make a beaver stew. <sighs> but a lot of the things, you know, a lot of the rodents they're trapping uh, not rodents, but you know, they're little minks and stuff. Um, not what you would consider like the hardiest meat. I'm not sure like raccoon and fox. It's pretty gamey stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not um, like you would pick that and say, let's go, let's go get some. Cause it's so good. It's more like this is, this is what I found when I was hunting and now I'm eating that. Right. And I think probably, in for mo- in in most cases, if you're a trapper, you're certainly comfortable killing things. Yeah, all day. So you, it's also not that big of a deal out there to go out sit somebody with, sit somewhere with a rifle and wait for a deer or a moose to come along. So I'm guessing that they that uh, that their meat at least comes from nature. But trappers, I mean, that's a that's an incredible life. It's a crazy life. Um, you set your traps out in on trails at various locations and you go out and you check them. And when you find a critter, you pull it out of the trap. It's probably already frozen. And so I'm not sure what their process is, whether they thaw the critter out and clean it and tan it in the moment or whether they hang a bunch of frozen critters somewhere and Mm -hmm. wait for them to thaw in the spring. I don't know. You know, the fur rendezvous is in February. So the trappers are all coming to town in February with their 
um, with all their skins. So that's the coldest month of the year. They wouldn't have been able to, they're not waiting all year to bring them to town in February. You know, honestly, I don't understand the trapper life, but the, but the back to the land thing is hard. And I don't just, it's not just hard. It's like all consuming. Like survival is all you think about from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. You mm-hmm. don't, you're not watching episodic television. Right, right. <laughs> right. If you are, if, <laughs> if you get done, the sun goes down and you either go to sleep because you need to get up when the sun comes up or in the case of winter in Alaska, the sun's always down. Yeah. Um, so you're working. You're always working. You're repairing things. You're, uh, you're, you've got pots going on the stove. You're, um, you're strategizing, you're building things that, that help your little compound. And that's, a that has to come from a desire to, a, a desire for like a single minded focus you want. And, and I don't think, I don't think most back to the landers are, are doing it 100% because they're reactionary. You know, they're not all leaving the world in a huff saying like the world sucks. I'm going to go make it. I think those people probably fail. I think the people that succeed at it are like this, this is what I want. This is the thing that, that pulls me like I'm, I'm not running from modernity. I'm going toward this purity of essence, P-O-E, purity of essence. Mm. And so in that sense, I admire them, but Alaska is full of people like that. Like all those, all those gold miner shows that are popular on TV. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a different version of the same thing. Like the amount of work that those guys put into mine and gold measured against the amount of money that that gold ends up being worth. Like they might as well just be working at a gas station or just driving that same bulldozer doing something else. I mean, they're basically just, they're earning the wage of a bulldozer driver. They're just bulldozing their own gold, gold mine. And, um, at the end of the year, you know, they, they collect some pile of gold, but it appeals to them because that gold is just lying there and you can just go get it. It's just free if you put the work in and, and so they're out, you know, they're out there like, I don't want to work a job. I want to do this, which is work this crazy job that I would hate (laughs) if I weren't doing it for myself, you know, getting this gold, this is mine. I was walking in the, I was hiking rather in the mountains outside of LA, sort of those, you know, those mountains around between LA and Joshua tree. Okay. I was hiking up some ravine and, uh, passed like a couple of young dudes in the stream with their gold pans and they were far up this uh, valley and they had, they didn't just have gold pans. Like they had the whole, 
they had the whole, they had like a mini sluice box and shovels and they humped all this gear up in there and they're panning gold in this little stream. And like I've panned gold in a little stream, you work all day and you get, I don't know how much, you know, a hundred bucks worth of gold flakes maybe. Hmm. But then you think about it, it's like, well, if you worked at, if you worked at a job all day and the job was paying $6 an hour, did you make a hundred bucks? Maybe. So it's a, I don't, it's a different relationship. I met a guy just, uh, just about a year ago. I was at a gas station in the middle of the night and this guy is, uh, are you, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you meeting people at gas stations in the middle of the night? Oh, well, so I'm, I'm pumping gas and there's a guy pumping gas on, uh, uh, on the other side of the Island. Now. Okay. Pause. Um, I, growing up in, in Philadelphia, my, everything, everything about my upbringing taught me and, and those around me, ideally you don't make eye contact with other people on the, on the street or in public places, unless you already know them. And even then maybe, maybe don't make eye contact with other people, let alone strike up a conversation with a stranger. Um, here in Austin, it's a bit different. People are more friendly. You can do that a bit more. But it seems like you don't, you do that no matter where you go. You do that under any circumstance. You're, you're, re- you're approachable and you're ready to talk to anybody. At 2 a.m. at a gas station, 1 p.m. walking down the street, it's all the same to you. Yes. That is true. And nothing, you've never ex- had a bad, you've never had a bad encounter from that. Oh, sure. Of course. But that didn't yeah. lead you to n- not still try it. You just wrote that off as a fluke. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I am, um, I am described by people for lack of a, for lack of a better word or for lack of a better description as flirty. Mm. Like every, every woman I've ever dated has said, um, you know, uh, at some point early on in the relationship, she'll say something like, why were you flirting with that waitress? And I'll say, what do you mean? She'll say, well, she came over to take the or- take our order and you got into like a four minute super flirtatious conversation with her about, you know, about tears for fears or something like, what's that about? And I'm like, it's not about anything. I was just, just making conversation. And because it's early in the relationship, my new girlfriend will say, no, it wasn't just making conversation. You were flirting. And I will, then I'm, I'm reporting this because this has happened to me throughout my life for mm-hmm. 30 years. I've mm-hmm. been dealing with this. And I say, I wasn't, I don't know what, I don't know what flirting means to you or what that, what that word means even. But I was just, I was just doing what comes naturally, which is someone comes over and says, have you guys decided? And I say, well, tell me about the three bean soup. And the waitress says, well, it's got three beans in it. And if, uh, if a waitress says something like that to me, then I know that I've got a live one, right? And I go, three beans, you say? And she goes, yeah, says right there, three beans. Then I go, interesting. Have you ever heard the song Three Bean Soup by Tears for Fears? 
And then we're off to the races because we're having fun because we're people and people have fun if they can. People have fun if they can. Well, then later on in my relationships with these uh, young women who have who initially say, why were you flirting with that waitress? Then after a few months, they come to me in a, with a different um, tact and they say, you know, I've noticed that you flirt with everybody. It isn't just – you know, like it stood out to me that you were flirting with, uh, like young women, but I realized you flirt with everybody. In fact, there's no one you won't flirt with old men, uh, people that, you know, are like panhandling conductors on trains. Um, and, and it's, and, and so then, then there's like curiosity. They have a curiosity, like what's going on with that? And I'm like, I don't know why flirting is this word that has weird connotations. Like because I was, because I was raised by my father in this way, because my mom is not flirtatious at all, but my dad was this way, but also it's my nature. Like if I'm getting on an airplane and the, the, uh, the flight attendants are all very friendly and they greet you and, and, um, my daughter and I have a habit of, of patting the outside of the airplane, you know, giving it a little pat <laughs> or a little pet <laughs> as we get on the plane. Like a good luck thing. Yeah. I've taught her that. I've been doing it for decades. My son um, gets very nervous if, when, I, when I do that, when I touch. He's like, don't, don't. Oh, really? Don't. don't well, why, did you, why did you touch it? Like, My sister can, does it too. He's like, yeah, well, I did, don't. Dude, should we tell someone? I'm like, no, no, give it a little pat. It makes the plane feel good. It makes you feel good. Later, halfway through the flight, I didn't, I didn't like when you touched the plane, Dad. Oh, well, you just have to, you just have to help him learn to touch the plane. Yeah, he won't do it. We would like to say thank you very much to Palm. That's right. You've heard about these little devices, haven't you? These little things. Yeah, they're phones, but they're more than just little phones. You've heard about this, Palm is back and they have these cool little tiny phones because here's the problem phones have intertwined themselves into our every waking moment you see all around you this top of people's heads they're hunching over their their devices they could be at dinner at dinner you see the whole family they're all sitting there looking down looking at looking their little devices couples go out let's go out to eat let's go out to eat and the whole time they're sitting there staring at their phones they're checking it checking it checking it well with palm they give it gives you a way to still feel connected to your digital life without being consumed by it. So again, this is not a replacement for your smartphone. Instead, you think of this as a way to have the connectivity that you want while still being present in the real world. So that's what they're all about. It is the size, they say it's the size of a credit card. It is so true. This thing is so small and so thin and so light. You really don't know that you have it with you when it's in your, in your pocket. It could be in your shirt pocket. You fit in your wallet. I mean, it's super tiny and, uh, and it gets out of the way. It's got two cameras. It runs a full-blown Android so you can install whatever you want from the Google Play app ecosystem, whether it's games or mail apps or browsers, you name it, it's all there. It's got 4G, Wi-Fi. It has all the mobility and capability of a smartphone. Uh, but but it's not going to weigh you down. It's not going to hold you back. And because of the size of it, it's super portable. And you're you're just not going to find yourself spending a, a million hours a day on this thing. So 
uh, go check this out. You can go and see these in person and really get a sense for how small they are at any uh, any Verizon store has these in stock. Or you can just go to palm.com, P-A-L-M, palm.com. Learn more, check it out. You're not going to believe how tiny this thing is until you see it in person. Uh, and it, and it, it really does change things up for you. I use this thing quite a bit, and I think you will too. Uh, palm.com, and uh, we sure do appreciate their support. Do yourself a favor, go check these things out. Thanks, Palm. But as I'm saying hello to the to the flight attendants, if there's an opportunity for me to poke my head into the into the pilots and say, you know, are you over Macho Grande or whatever? You know, I just say, hey, have a great flight or whatever. Good to see you. You know, love the plane. Like, of course, I'll take that opportunity. When I sit down in my chair, I will say to the person next to me, hi, how are you? And if they say fine and go back to reading, I leave them alone. But if they're like, great, I say, great, what's, uh, where are you going? What's going on? And the thing is, I don't want them talking to me through the whole flight. And every once in a while I make, I make the mistake of engaging someone who is a, is a chatterbox or who doesn't respond to social cues. And I end up in a bad situation where there's somebody that's just just chattering at me for four hours and I go, boy, that's what I get for being, for being flirty. But in most cases, the person is sitting next to me and we have a pleasant conversation. And then once the plane reaches its cruising altitude, they go about their business and I go about mine. Mm -hmm. And, And every once in a while you meet someone where you have a fascinating conversation, the entire flight and the flight goes by with, and you don't even notice it's happened. And at the end you're like, that was great talking to you. I mean, I have never exchanged phone numbers with anybody at the end of a flight, not a single time. But I mean, I've flown to Europe and talked to somebody for eight straight hours mm. and you know, loved them just like you're amazing. But what are you going to do? We're sitting next to each other on a plane. It's not like this isn't how our relationship begins. Anyway, whatever that flirtatiousness is, it's one of the things that has it's in. It's a, it enriches my life almost more than anything. And, and in most cases, if I say something to someone at a gas pump at one o'clock in the morning in an industrial strip of South Seattle and that person grunts at me or doesn't reply or whatever, um, no blood, no foul, right? In most cases, that person is a normal person and they go, huh? Yeah, totally. Or whatever. They reply. They say something human back. And uh, we had a little human exchange and we both went our separate way and we both exchanged a little particle of goodwill with one another. And every once in a while, you get a live one. And in the case that I was describing, I'm pumping gas and the guy across from me is pumping gas and I... And he's uh, driving a Winnebago, a small, small Winnebago. And I noticed that on the dashboard, I'm looking through the window of his Winnebago, on the dashboard is a, what I would describe as a big screen TV. Like it's, it fills the windshield. You can drive, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's over to the side enough that you can drive, but the TV is, you know, windshield sized. And so I say, nice TV. And the guy says, huh? Yeah, thanks. 
And I go, I'm guessing that uh, you're living in in there, <laughs> given the size of the TV. And he says, yeah, I'm living in here, you know, in the winter. Uh, but in the summer, I go up and work my my claim. And I was like, oh, boy. It's one o'clock in the morning and I just hooked a big one. <laughs> and so I say, work your claim. Where's your claim? And he says, well, I'm not going to tell you where my claim is. <laughs> and I say, just, just, you don't have to tell me where it is, but just give me like on what river? And he says, the Nisqually. And then I'm like, really? There's gold on the Nisqually? And he's like, well, I'm not going to tell you where, but yeah, the Nisqually's, people have been mining the Nisqually for a hundred years, he says. And he means, you know, placer mining. And so we now, you know, both of us are done putting gas in our trucks, but now we're, we're in the middle of a conversation, a good one. And I said, so so what do you, what do you do in the winter? And he's like, Oh, I live in the Winnebago and I park it over there. And he nods his head across the, across fourth Avenue South. And I see a side street between a recycling plant and a, and a, you know, a tile warehouse. And on this side street, it's all little RVs, little, you know, single occupancy RVs on both sides of the street parked up into the shadows. And I'm like, Oh shit, you've got a little community here across the street from this gas station. I go to this gas station all the time. I never noticed because your eye doesn't pick up on little communities like that. Mm -hmm. Or if it does, it's just like, Oh, a bunch of weird broken down RVs, you know, let's get out of here, honey. But in fact, it's a little universe. They all know each other. It's a little, I mean, if somebody, if somebody gets a half rack of beer, I'm sure they share it around. And if you're living in an RV and you pull into a street that's full of little RVs and you're an asshole, they're probably going to kick you out after a couple of weeks. So I talked to this guy for, I don't know, 20 minutes and I learn all about his, and after he gets to know me a little bit, he realizes he can kind of tell me a little bit more right. about where, where on the Nisqually his thing is. Cause I'm not like some claim jumper. <laughs> And I ask him like how he does and what his, you know, what it's like up there. And he, I mean, he's like, I live in this RV in the winter, but then in the summer I go up and live in this RV, but I'm up there working my claim. But so, so he is living the, he's living the life, right? He does, he works for no man and he makes enough gold in the summer that he can live in his truck year round. Now that's not a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, how much would it cost to live in a truck? Well, you got to put gas in it. Now, if your truck's not moving, you're not using as much gas, but presumably he's running the motor in order to power his TV and his little heater or whatever it is, however he keeps warm. So he's using gas um, and food and whatever, cause he was older. He was 60. Um, who knows whether he has medication or not. 
he's probably getting a check either from the government or from a, from his retirement from something. Um, but he's, he's free in the world. You know what I mean? He doesn't, even if he, even if he stays on that side street next to the recycling plant every night in his mind, he could pick up and go in a second. Everything he owns is on his back. He's a turtle. <laughs> but he's a fast moving turtle. <laughs> and my God, that has appeal for people. Yeah. A tremendous appeal. Even if he never leaves, the idea that he can is so strong. And you know, and I I I admired him. I, and I liked him. I liked him personally. You could just tell that although he was a crusty uh gold panning midnight rambler. And I actually, at the time I was doing my, my rendezvous show. Yeah. And I really debated whether or not to go down there and knock on his truck door and ask him to come be on my show. And it was only as the show got, got going and we had, no shortage of guests and they all kind of were from, it would, they were all easy to get. They didn't require that I go down in the, in the day and knock on this guy's door and say, remember me from the gas station? How would you like to come up to the rendezvous <laughs> on first right. Avenue for right. no money and sit and let me talk to you about your gold mine in front of an audience? <laughs> so I never did, but I kind of regret, I regretted even then that I wasn't doing a show that was more, like if I had a if I had a little team of people that were helping me make a show and I could meet people like that and say, Give me your number, I'm gonna I'm gonna have somebody call you, we're gonna get you on the show. Cause I meet I might meet kooks like that all the time. The world is full of kooks. And a lot of them you know, all you all you need to do is talk to them. I had, there was a sad one of those recently. I was at a thrift store. I was looking at some records and a guy kind of sidles up next to me and says, I played on that record. And I turned and it was a guy again, about 65 Mm -hmm. disheveled, but, but you could tell he was making an attempt to be groomed and he had a certain class, a certain main. And I said, tell me more. And he said, oh yeah. And it was a symphonic record. And so, you know, my spidey sense was going off. Like what are the chances that this symphonic record sitting here in the front of this record display and this guy that played on it just coincidentally collided on me there, there is a chance, but there's also something suspect about this setup, but let's go with it. And he starts to tell me about how he used to play for the Seattle symphony and, and, um, he toured the world and life was grand and then this, that, and the other. And now he's at a, now he's hanging out at a value village in Burien. And the thing is, he's not looking for anything. He's not asking me for anything. He's not aiming to be, to have fallen on hard times. He's just telling the story of his life. 
And so I talked to him about his life for a while. But when I'm in a thrift store, I'm, I'm moving. I'm looking at this and then I move. I look at that. I'm moving. I look at that. I'm not standing waiting for the, my gas tank to fill. I like to keep going. And so after a while, I started to extricate myself from him because I'd heard his story and I liked it. I had gathered it now. I'd gathered that moss. Um, and he did not take this, the, the cues that I was ready to go. And what I've learned in the last 10 years, 15 years, I guess, of being in music and then in, well, shit, it's been 20 years of music. 20, it's been longer than that that I've played music. 20 years where anybody ever wanted to talk to me. But I learned that when someone isn't taking social cues and it's time to go, that most of the time you just go, well, great talking to you, goodbye. Because it's if they're not taking social cues, they're not going to suddenly start taking them five minutes from now if you just let them talk, you know. So I, I say goodbye to him. And, uh, I get on with, get on with my day. Well, about 10 days later, because when you're thrifting, you have to let some time go by before you go back to the same thrift store. It's not that new stuff doesn't come in every day, but if you go to the same thrift store every day, it'll drive you crazy because you're, because you're starting, because you recognize the inventory after a while and you're just starting to obsess over the one or two things that are going to arrive new every day. And that is a crazy thing. So I have a circuit that I do and every 10 days or two weeks, I revisit the places that I've been. So I go back to the value village in Burien. I'm wandering around and I see this symphonic record at the front of the record display. And I go, Oh, and I look around and sure enough, there he is and he's moving in. Now I haven't stopped at the records, but it's a, it's a plant. He's found this record and whether the story is true or not, I kind of suspect it is, but he takes this record, which no one is ever going to buy and he puts it in the front. And if somebody stops to look at the records, he has someone to talk to and he can tell his story again. And it was, it's, you know, it's depressing because it is, um, you know, because he is, he has a desperation, which is to communicate with people or, and it, and it might be that he's like a lot of people not interested in what I had to say, not interested in others. He just wants to rattle off his, his moment of glory, but it's because he is missing something in his life, human contact or, um, accolade or something. And he's, he's, he's laid this little hermit crab trap and every day sits in this value village and snares a half a dozen people. And I don't know when he feels like he's done enough and can go home when he's told his story enough times. But, um, but I meet, I, like I say, I meet every kind of people. So when you, when I meet one of, when I meet somebody like that, 
I'm very sympathetic, but in this instance, I made sure to accelerate past the records. Because the thing is, he wouldn't recognize me. It's been 10 days, right? He probably wouldn't recognize me if I came back the next day because he's not interested in me. I'm just a, I'm just a warm body. But I don't need to hear that story two times, you know. 